Maybe you didn't know that's where Jerry got that from, huh? That was Matthew McConaughey's first movie. I think he was a stoner in that one. So we're not advocating that. We're just saying that might be where Jerry got it. All right, all right, all right, folks. Blessings. Good to see you guys. Uh, I wanted to share, uh, before we get to our shouts, a couple of things with you. Right after service, we're going to have a, a, a budget hangout time. So if you're interested in what the budget at JRC looks like, everyone's welcome, not just members, whoever. If you want to see how we spend our money, uh, we want to invite you to that. That is going to be 30 minutes max. So we're setting a timer, and once it goes off, that's the end of the meeting. And so if you'd like to join that, that'll be right at 12 o'clock. Um, and the reason we do it is we want to be absolutely transparent with our finances. We don't want any shadiness at church at all. So you know exactly where the money you give goes. So there's that one. And the other thing I wanted to mention is uh, we have a prayer wall that's right outside. If you have a prayer request, would you put it on there? And then would you remember to go back and check if God has answered that prayer? I actually had to go back and I was like, which ones did I put up there? And I had to check which prayers I was asking to see if God answered it. And if God answers that, would you transfer it to the answered side? And we're going to be doing that for one month. So this will be our second week that we're jumping into that. So if you have any prayer requests, it could be a tiny one. It could be a huge one. Whatever your prayer request is and you'd like to just put it on that wall and see what God's going to do. We'd love to share that with you. Uh, other people can glance at those. So if it's super private, maybe just... Uh, code talk at God for that thing that you know is really important to me. Like that's okay to do because there's some stuff that's really sensitive. That uh, and then I think it's since it's out in public, there may be people that glance at that and pray for your prayers as well. And so just so you know that that's taking place. All right, so let's uh, jump in with our shouts. What do we do? We love God and we love others. And what do we say? I love God and I love you. Thank you for confessing that as our mission statement and hopefully. Uh, the moniker of our life as we go out this life. This series that we're in, we've been looking at people or events in the Bible that just show up for like one verse or one moment or one kind of event. And those moments and those events turn out to be really important. And today we're going we're gonna to see the ultimate one-hit wonder. An event that happens once and only once in all eternity past or eternity future. The one event we're talking about is the greatest event in human history, and we're going to talk about the crucifixion of Jesus. There's all sorts of things that just happened one time during this event, and we're going to be looking at that today. The first thing uh, we're going to see in the crucifixion of Jesus is this guy yeah, at this event, uh, this guy named Simon of Cyrene. In Mark 15, so this is leading up to the crucifixion, so Jesus has been arrested and all that kind of stuff happened. But as he's going the morning where he's going to get crucified, he's, he's going out, but he's too beat up to carry the cross himself. Normally the Romans make the prisoners carry their own cross or crossbar at least. And, uh, but Jesus is too beat up, if you know the, the narrative, to, to carry it himself. And so in Mark 15, this is how it's recorded in Mark. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, the father of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country. And they forced him to carry the cross. So this is his only Bible mention. This is his one hit. And, and it seems like a, a tragedy, maybe. There's this poor sap who's forced to help in the crucifixion of some controversial Jewish teacher. He's from Cyrene. He's not even from Israel. He, he's from North Africa. That's where Cyrene is in modern-day Libya in, in northern Africa. I'm sure he's not happy about it. He probably had other plans. He wasn't planning to attend the crucifixion of someone. It's not an event that you schedule in your planner like you did the fun summer events. This wasn't one of those. He wasn't in town for that. That wasn't a planned event. He wasn't trying to see this crucifixion. He wasn't trying to be about this, and I'm sure he's not happy about it. And yet, in hindsight of history, he gets to carry the cross of Christ. 
Now, at this moment, that seems like a terrible thing, right? But in the hindsight of history, he got to be involved in the, the greatest moment in, in all of human history, the, the greatest triumph. He gets to participate in Jesus' greatest moment when he pays for the sins of the world, and, and he gets to be part, part of that. Simon of Cyrene is forever part of this greatest event in human history. But at the time that he's going through it, if we had to imagine, the Bible doesn't say, so sometimes we have to imagine, imagine how he was feeling as the Romans, he's not even from this area, say, hey you, get over here and help this criminal carry a cross where they were going to torture him and kill him on a cross, and he's forced to carry it. That seems like a, a bad day. It seems like something that's no good, maybe terrible. But sometimes life is like that. Sometimes the thing in life that we think is terrible in that very moment ends up being one of our greatest blessings. Now, I haven't always pastored this church. The, the church I was at about eight years ago, nine years ago, um, had some, some difficulty going on, and, and I wasn't able to continue pastoring there. And, and I had to make a really difficult decision to, to leave that church. And that was a church I'd been involved with for almost 17 years. And I loved it so dearly. But, but circumstances and life and sort of stuff brought me to the place where, where I knew that God didn't want us to continue there. But making that decision, that was, that was terrible. It, it sucked. I felt, I felt horrible. I felt overwhelmed. I felt discouraged. I felt like, God, why is this happening? These kind of things. And yet out of that, then allows me to come to one of the greatest times in my life for the last five and a half years being the pastor of this church. And it wouldn't have been possible if I didn't go through that difficult moment. Or I think about my own personal life. My wife and I have shared pretty openly that, that we had a miscarriage with one of our babies and then we had a daughter who was born and then she died after about five minutes um, because her bones couldn't harden. Terrible, terrible situation. Heartbreaking, overwhelming, maybe the most difficult thing in our lives as a married couple. And yet, out of that terrible moment, God brought the right timing so that we could adopt our daughter, Kayla, who you've heard me about brag. We like better than the boys, right? <laughs> out, of, out of something that's terrible, God brings about our greatest blessing, which is our daughter, Kayla. The boys are nice, too. Uh, we like the boys a lot, but, but Kayla's something else. One door closes, and God often opens an even better door. I think it's worth thinking about when you come upon difficult times in your life that, that God may be setting you up for his next blessing. So that's Simon and Cyrene. There's some other guys that weren't planning to be part of this greatest event in human history. There were a couple of criminals who were getting crucified also, killed for their, their sins that they did or their, their crimes that they did. And they show up here. In Luke, he records it this way. Two other men, they were both criminals. They were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to a place called the Skull, they crucified him there along with those criminals. One was on his right and the other was on his left. And, and Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And then they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And the people stood watching, and the rulers, they were even sneering at him. And they said, he saved others. 
Let him save himself if he's really God's Savior or Messiah, the Chosen One. The soldiers come up, they mock him, and they offered him wine vinegar, and, and, and they said, if you're the king of Jews, save yourself. There was written a notice above him that read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung, uh, hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. Oh, and save us too. But the other criminal, he rebukes the, other, the first criminal, and he says, don't you fear God? He said, since you are under the same sentence, we are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing. And then he says to Jesus, I mean, he's hanging on the cross with them. There's three dudes hanging on the cross having a conversation. Then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. I mean, this part is wild. I mean, it shows the extreme reactions that people had to Jesus. Some people were like uh, mocking him, saying, oh, you think you're the king? You think you're so powerful? Then save yourself, say Baha. And they're like mocking him. And, then, and there's other people who, there's this criminal who deserves his death. He's probably pretty angry. He's messed up his life. He's about to die. And yet he says, oh my gosh, something is different going on. I mean, he's hanging on a cross and he's like, something not normal is going on with this guy who's hanging next to me. And he, and he says, I, we don't know his status, what he was before any of this. But he says, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus says, I will. So some people insult and reject and, and stay in their spiritual condition while others turn honestly to Jesus and their eternity is altered. I mean, talk about like a last minute or last second chance. Like, dude, this dude is like, like at the last point, he's on a cross. He's about to die. And he's like, oh, hey, Jesus. And Jesus says, you're saved. It's like with those, those train escapes we've seen in the last couple of weeks. Like, it's right at that last moment. Boom. And he's and he's saved. This reminds us that it doesn't matter who you are or what you've done or how much life has passed. Forgiveness is always just a prayer away, just a whisper away. Maybe you've been praying for years for your dad, you know, uh, and you don't know about the status of his soul. Maybe you shared Jesus with him. Um, perhaps like my father, he's passed away. And you don't know about their soul, and you, and you worry about it, and you wonder about it. Well, I, I would say this. You never know what happens at the last moment of someone's life. You, you never know in the last breath that they have, what do they whisper out to God. And so there's always hope, even if it doesn't feel like it sometimes. Because this event highlights the truth that we don't need to do anything to get God's love or forgiveness. I mean, see, he didn't study the Bible. He didn't go to church. He didn't get baptized. He didn't ever uh, give any offering. He didn't uh, take communion. He didn't go to a prayer meeting. He didn't even change his life. Nothing. He did nothing to deserve or to pay for or to earn or to become valid in Jesus' eyes. Nothing. He just simply received. Because it's not about my good deeds. It's about his great deed. And this thief recognized it. He didn't have to do anything for it. Just receive it. All we got to do is just turn and ask. And it's available for everyone. Now there was a prophecy about uh, Jesus knew he was going to go to the cross. And there's some prophecies that I want to share with you about that. 
about being lifted up. All the way in Numbers, this is almost 2,000 years before. In Numbers 21, the Lord sent, this is when Israel was in the wilderness. And you'll have to stick with me for a second if you haven't read this passage before because it won't make any sense at first, but it will when we get to Jesus. Then the Lord sent venomous snakes among them. They had, they had rejected God. And that they bit the people and many Israelites died. And the people came to Moses and they said, Oh, we sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord will take the snakes away from us. So, so Moses prays for the people. Then the Lord says to Moses, Make a snake, put it on a pole, and, and, and raise it up. And, and anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. So that was the cure for snake bite from this, this miraculous intervention of God. So Moses made a bronze snake. He put it on a pole and... Then when anyone was bitten by the snake, they looked up at the bronze snake. They actually lived. So it was the remedy for their condition. Now, now Jesus says this. Now, this is before he hasn't died on the cross or anything. But Jesus says this uh, early on in his ministry to people. Here's what he said. And it's recorded by his uh, disciple John. He says, just as Moses, was, uh, Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, and all his folks listening would know that story that we just saw right there. He said, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. So they knew that if they, back in the Old Testament, they looked at the snake, they would have lived. He's saying the same thing is eternally true for those who look at the Messiah. For God so loved this world that he gave his, his one and only Son that whoever believes, whoever believes in him, they, they shall never perish but have eternal life. Because God didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Now we're like, oh, of course, Jesus hung on the cross. They, you know, lifted up on the pole just like the sin. But that hasn't happened yet. This is Jesus. He's alive and well and, and telling people, hey, this is coming up. This is coming up. This is coming up. Even when we do communion, we say like, oh, Jesus had said, this is my blood shed for you. This is my body broken for you. That's, he's alive. It's the night before. He hasn't been crucified. That, that communion wouldn't have made any sense to those that are taking it at that time. But Jesus knew what was going to happen, just like he does here. And then we see in Mark, it says, then ultimately they crucify Jesus. They divide up his clothes. They cast lots to see who would get what. It's nine in the morning when they crucify Jesus. So God foreshadowed that moment in the Old Testament. And then Jesus prophecies about this same moment plainly to his disciples. So what can I say here? This is the event. This is the whole ballgame. This is everything. If you add resurrection to this, that's the two most important tenets of Christianity. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. Death to pay for sins, resurrection to give life. But by walking through all this Moses part, the Jesus prophecy part, we see that this crucifixion wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mishap. It wasn't a misstep. It wasn't coincidental. Jesus didn't uh, get crucified by the Romans because the Romans are so sneaky, sly, powerful, something like that. No one took his life. He gave it freely for us, and he knew it the entire time. He knew from the beginning of his ministry that that's what he was going to do. That was his intention the entire time. And love for you is the reason we saw it. For God so loved the world, he, he intentionally gave his son so that we could have salvation. So Jesus is coming on this planet. He says, hey, just like Moses lifted up that snake, I'm going to get lifted up. But the reason is this, because I love you. It's not out of guilt, shame, anything else. The reason I am here is because I love you. Love for you is what made him endure. Love for you brought 
his greatest shame and horror, but also the greatest triumph. And he did it all intentionally, knowing the price, yet willing to pay it because of, as John recorded, his great love for you. That's your value. That is your value. Listen carefully. Value is based on the price someone is willing to pay for something. So if you have an old GoBots from 1980 that was like 99 cent store, you can now sell it for $150. If it's still in its package, it could be $500. Why? Because some 80s person is like reminiscing about their childhood and they're willing to pay that amount. So that old Transformer or GoBot has a value because someone's willing to pay it. And so your value is based on what someone is willing to pay for you. And Jesus was willing to pay the highest possible price. So Jesus is God, eternal, in human flesh. There is no more valuable thing. And he's willing to pay that price for you, listen carefully, because he thinks you're worth it right now. Sinner and all, messed up jerk, idiot, I know whatever label you put on yourself, all of that, Jesus says, I think you're worth it. I think that's your value. To Jesus, you are of highest value. So I want you to remember that next time Satan tries to tell you that you're worthless. Now, we're not going to raise our hands, but how many times has Satan tried to tell you you're worthless? Or you thought to yourself, like, I'm no good, I'm, I'm nothing, nobody cares. I don't have any value. Well, let me tell you what God thinks your value is. Not me, not someone else, not someone who's fickle or has something to gain. But God thinks that your value is worth his very life. He'd, he'd literally become available as a human being to be killed and then get killed for you. That's what he thinks about you. That's what he thought about that thief who hadn't done anything. And so it's not about what you do or that you're a good person or any of those things. That is the value God places on you. So remember that. And here's the final sort of crescendo of the Jesus coming to the cross. And there's a one-liner in there as well as this one-time event. In John 19, it says, when, when he had received a drink, Jesus, they, they lifted up a sponge and he, they put it on his lips. Jesus says, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Well, what's finished? Like his life? Is hope finished? Is mankind doomed? No, no. He has finished what he came to earth to accomplish. What is that? He came to earth to pay for the sins of people, to take upon himself your mistakes so that you could be right with God, so that you could go to heaven, the sins of you and I. He has finalized the way, he has demonstrated the truth, and he has brought the life. The work of Satan is finished. Because Satan is permanently defeated. Because death has lost its sting. There's no longer any need to fear because Jesus says, I've taken my, uh, your payment on me so that you could go to heaven. And he says, it's finished. The work is done. Through Jesus, we can have life abundant and life eternal. What an incredible one-liner. Now, right after this happens, there's another non-believer who has a spiritual supernatural encounter. Matthew 27, when the centurion, they had just 
a little bit earlier been hurling insults, remember. Uh, when the centurion and those with him who were guarding Jesus saw there was, this earthquake had happened and all that, uh, the other stuff that had happened, they were terrified and they exclaimed, surely he was the son of God. So this is a non-believing, no information having random Roman dude recognizing the power of the moment. Like he, he doesn't know anything about God. He's not a God follower. He and the other guards, not just one guy, they proclaimed like, oh my gosh, this is the Son of God. He recognizes something different is happening here, something supernatural. Like Romans killed tens and tens of thousands and thousands of people. Maybe hundreds of thousands of people were crucified. This isn't news to them. It's not new. They do it all the time. It's how they punish folks. But this one was different. This one, for, for whatever reason, they were like, hey, something supernatural is happening. This was actually God. In the West, we often shy away from the supernatural, I think, and, you know, especially uh, we're an incredibly educated congregation, and almost the more education you get, the, the less sort of you think about supernatural intervention of God and that sort of stuff, and don't think about the inexplicable spiritual work all the time that happens in humans. But, but here we see it. There's no reason for these guys to know any of this. There's no, what do they know about the Son of God? They but something is happening, and they're watching this supernatural spiritual work, and they're like, I, I don't maybe know about it, but something incredible is happening. We're reminded that even without information, God's power can be experienced like this guard. God is at work in non-believers to even turn them to him. That's who he wants. Think about yourself. Before you were a believer, you were not a believer. How did you come to God? Because some supernatural thing happened to you. Probably you didn't look at the various things and said, I'm going to choose this one. <laughs> and that's when you became a Christian, because you chose the most logical of religions. Now, awesome. Maybe one in a million folks do it that way. The rest of us had a supernatural experience with God that he inexplicably turned our hearts when we, our heart was away from him. And so God is doing supernatural work all the time, believers and non, and we see it here with the guards. And the last thing we want to see today about this event is its, its effect. And its effect is life. The Apostle Paul writes this in hindsight about the, the cross. In Romans 6, he says, For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourself dead to your sins, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. The effect of this once in an eternity event is the option for life, eternal life, and an abundant life presently. Without this event, no one could get to heaven. Without this event, no one... Uh, could stand in God's presence. No one would have any hope at all without this event. But because of this event, we can become alive to God in Christ Jesus. This event brings the only lasting hope, the only true lasting purpose. And it's, it's given freely to anyone who will ask for this gift. It's available for all folks so what a beautiful conclusion to count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Alive to God. And what, a, what, a, what an important phrase. Because I think sometimes 
we feel trapped or, or trapped in the sort of comatose monotony of our go to sleep, get up, go to work, come home, go back to sleep, get up, go to work, in this sort of pattern. And we sort of almost can feel like we're just a zombie going through the motions. We're in that rat race over and over and over and over. And God reminds you, hey, you're alive in Christ. You're alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sometimes maybe we feel discouraged about our circumstances. Maybe it feels like, man, everything is burying me. I feel overwhelmed by it. And you get that sort of like dead feeling inside because of circumstances. Well, remember that that Jesus says that you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Maybe sometimes you... You struggle with hating even yourself. I mean, that, that's on the rise. So depression and anxiety and that kind of stuff. Maybe you've come to this place where you feel dead inside. Maybe nothing feels like it matters. But again, remember the truth. The truth of God's value and love to you and that you will be made alive to God in Christ Jesus. Not my words, but his. So let's never walk around looking or feeling or acting dead because we're not. We're alive in God. Let that truth be visible to everyone around you, that you are alive. There is a power that's available and in you that that is not to non-believers. You are alive in a supernatural sense. Let that truth sink deep into your soul and become the anchor of hope that it was meant to be as God gave us this word, that you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. So today is the hugest, hugest event, the greatest possible one-hit wonder. The cross was serious business. It had eternal, massive, cosmic ramifications. It it alters souls. It alters the, the, the arc of humanity that now heaven is available. And I'm so thankful that Jesus allows this opportunity for every one of us to be on the right side of this historical human event. That he tells us that our value is incredible by the price that he was willing to pay for us. And that he reminds us, because of this event, we are made alive in God through Christ Jesus. So I want you to just take a moment or two and just think about this as, before we get into our worship song here to close out. Just think about this moment and all the things that are going on. So many people in that moment turning to God. So many people experience supernatural things. God speaking value. Would you hear His voice this morning? His voice of love saying, I love you so much I send my son and my son willingly, intentionally went to the cross for you because you are valuable to me. Those are God's words to you. You are no longer dead, but you are alive in Christ. Let that hit for a bit then we're going to thank God and worship.